the way you judge the effectiveness of TM is how much more happiness you have in your life. The whole purpose of spending those 20 minutes twice a day is so that when you come out of meditation, you feel more comfortable and can live your life from a quieter, more engaging spot. That was Michael Blitz, our Transcendental Meditation Expert. Hi, I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and welcome to Woman Overboard. Have you ever been told that you go overboard? Or maybe you have a friend, a partner, or a crazy aunt who overdoes it at the holidays. Someone who is overly ambitious, overly excited, and gets overwhelmed because she tends to overdo everything. Well, welcome to my world. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and this is Woman Overboard, a show about women, leaders, mothers, and entrepreneurs who are dedicated to making a difference. My guests would not be where they are today without being the overachievers that they are. Women who, I believe, put a positive spin on the words, woman overboard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling very zen today because I have a guest here who I've been wanting to have here for a long time. He's someone that I met a few years ago, more out of need than desire. His name is Michael Blitz, and he is with the St. Louis Brentwood Transcendental Meditation Center. He's the first male guest we're having on Woman Overboard, and Michael has taught Transcendental Meditation, or TM, as it is commonly called, to over a 1,000 people on three continents. And he's been practicing TM for over 40 years and truly believes that this meditation has changed his life for the better. Welcome, Michael. I'm so glad to have you here today on Woman Overboard. I'm glad to be here. And as I indicated when I started, and I know you don't always do the mmm, but just to get people's attention, I went to the center because I was feeling a need for something to calm myself down and feel that I've gotten a lot out of it. But as we'll continue talking, I'm sure there's a lot more that I can get out of it. So there's so many meditations out there. If you can explain, I mean, there's things people can download on their phone, and then there's breathing methods of meditation. Tell us a little bit about what Transcendental Meditation is. In a single word, TM is a technique. It's a skill that you learn that enables you to do something you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. It's that simple. You do need to learn how, but once someone shows you how, you can do it. If you'd never seen a jack or a, the use of a lever and you have a flat tire and you asked me to change the tire, or you, t- you told me you had a problem, I said, oh, I'll fix it. You wouldn't believe me that I could lift a 3,000-pound car. But once you saw me apply the principle of mechanical advantage and lift your car, you go, oh, I could do that. Not that you'd want to, but you could. Call AAA. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, is that once you see how to do it, it's actually not hard to do. Okay, so applying the principle of the jack, you're making it sound like it needs physical exertion, but it doesn't, right? No, TM is a mental process. So thanks for making that clear. It's a mental process that enables someone to allow the mind to become more and more quiet inside. Notice I used a passive verb. There was no effort involved, and that's one of the unique features of TM 
completely different than other forms of meditation. I'm going to stop you a minute because I love what you said. Allowing the mind rather than making the mind. You see, TM is a process of allowing the mind to become less active. When you go to make the mind do something, you're, you're imposing effort. You're imposing work on it. You're like creating a wave. Think of the, think of the ocean. On the surface, you have waves. What we're doing is allowing the waves to settle down so that you can experience that inner depth. When you came to learn to meditate, and part of the whole concept of women overboard is that we become overwhelmed with the incredible amount of activity that we have to perform in a world that is exponentially increasing the pressure upon us. Well, you sure got that one right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, what, what a mother today goes through to be a mother... My mom had six kids. She never attended my baseball practices. She didn't even know what sports I was playing. She didn't have time. Oh, that makes me feel better. Well, <laughs> like that but I, I'm just saying the amount of things that are expected of people to, to perform their roles in a, quote, socially acceptable way, the whole idea of social media putting intense yes. pressure on everybody, everybody is feeling this, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to, and they've got to live up to something that's external and it really makes us uncomfortable. We lose touch with that ability to know what is natural and good for me. And that loss, that loss is the loss of life because you lose the ability to refer to yourself to know what's right for you. So what, how is TM then different from other meditations? I mean, you're, you're saying that you, you allow your mind, but other people say, when I bring up TM, they say, oh, I've tried it, but I can't get my mind to calm down. They're, it's in the word that they try it. You need to learn from a teacher who's been trained. I personally spent several years with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi back in the early 70s. And, and the, was, the Maharishi was the one that the Beatles learned from, correct? That's right. And that, yes. Um, they also went to his training program in India for months, and if you wanted to look back into it, some of their best music came at that time. I mean, it was Maurice who talked about letting it be. <laughs> right. Beautiful. In any case, the key thing is, remember I said you, it's a technique? You need to learn the skill. And for that, it takes, a, you know, there's four classes on four consecutive days, each about 90 minutes to two hours. You learn that, and then we have a follow-up program that's in, you know, goes on forever. People can come back if they're uncertain about the practice of TM. They can sit with one of us teachers and we will walk you through the way to do it correctly. It is an effortless process. You don't work at it. As you well know, it's a process of settling down inside. But if you go to make your mind settle, then you're not practicing the technique correctly. So I know what the steps are because I went through it, and I found it very delightful and told my husband this is the easiest thing I've ever learned how to do and the easiest thing to do, which no one believes. But Take us through sh- just briefly what the process is of learning TM, how many days it takes and so forth. Um, the first step is to come to one of our introductory talks. We do have them online. I think it's at tm.org forward slash videos. That's There's where you got me. Your talk was wonderful. <laughs> well, you can, you can, we have them at the center several times a week. It's in Brentwood, just south of Whole Foods. And... Um, takes about an hour and 15 minutes, and we explain what's involved in learning. You get to meet the teacher. You get to talk about personal applications to yourself. And then if you want to learn, we explain to you how the technique works, 
TM does use what we call a mantra, which is a sound that's known from an ancient tradition of teachers. It's not a point to bring out. TM is an ancient process. Maharishi did not make this up. TM has been practiced for thousands of years. And what Maharishi did, having studied with his master, he basically operationalized the process. When, you, when Maharishi went to his master, his, master, his teacher didn't say, it's going to be seven steps to learning. <laughs> you <laughs> right. know, you became part of the ashram. You learned. What Maharishi did was he took that understanding and broke it down into a sequence of experience. You see, the key thing is when you come to learn to meditate, as you know personally, even in the first day, you start to practice this technique. Then you go home and meditate on your own that night, the next morning, and then we meet together the next day, and then the next day we cover practical questions. Questions like, what do I do if I want to move? What do I do if I fall asleep? How do I keep track of time? What if someone interrupts me? I mean, there are all kinds. How do I know if I'm doing it right? Mm -hmm. We go over this whole list so that you understand what to do and how to do it. The second day class, after you've learned, so this is really the third day, you learn personally on the first day, you come the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And each day, you keep practicing asking questions that are relevant to your own experience, and the process is layered. You're understanding the first day is practical. The next day is, how does stress come out of me? Why do I feel more comfortable at the end of the 20 minutes? On the third day, we talk about the different benefits you experience based on your own experience. Almost everyone f feels, after just four days of doing this, they feel a greater sense of comfort in their life. And I, I want to bring this out. The way you judge the effectiveness of TM is how much more happiness you have in your life. The whole purpose of spending those 20 minutes twice a day is so that when you come out of meditation, you feel more comfortable and can live your life from a quieter, more engaging spot. You've got kids. You know what it's like to be up all night, right? Right. So when you're up all night, you know, earaches, heartaches, <laughs> you know, the different things right. that, you know. How do you feel on those days after you've been up the whole night? Exhausted. Okay. And when you've gotten a good night's sleep on those rare moments, right. <laughs> when you've really slept through and you feel comfortable, how do you feel then? Oh, great. What's the difference between those two? You're still the same person. Right. Getting sleep. But the quality of rest that you mm -hmm. got determines the quality of your enjoyment in life. And that's just true of all of us. And what and I just want to interrupt for one bit reason, because I want the audience to know that when you speak of comfort, I had no idea when I would walk in there that I would see these big, comfortable chairs. And that's the other wonderful thing about TM. And pillows galore. And I'm one of these people that needs a pillow behind my back. And they've got bottles of water for you. It's not the thing of sitting on the floor, you know, trying to get your knees to touch the ground and torturing yourself. It's all about being in a comfortable position when you do this, correct? Yeah, all you need is a chair. <laughs> right. Really. I mean, you can really pretty much meditate anywhere. It doesn't have to be absolutely quiet. You, you do need to feel safe because when you're meditating, when you're practicing TM, the mind is settling inward. And so there cannot be an element of, of watchfulness or um, vigilance when you're meditating. There was a, a woman who started and she said, oh, I meditate in this room, but I let my, and I kind of watch my kids in the other room. I said, no, 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 because then you can't let the attention drop inward. And, right. and so you, you do need to feel safe and to be comfortable. And just as a, a sidebar, as a uh, 
little story of mine, right after I started, I went to Thailand. And I thought, oh, how am I going to do this? And my husband was so supportive. And there we were sitting in this huge, busy airport. But there was a wonderful bench against the wall. And I said, honey, I'm going to sit here and do my meditation. And I sat there. And I heard all the noise around me. But where else can you sit and close your eyes but in an airport? Nobody's going to care. There's a 1,000 people walking back and forth. He had left me without my even knowing it to go get a drink or something. And when I opened my eyes, he was, had moved. But I find that sometimes those noisy places like that on an airplane is the best place to meditate. A- ambient noise, you know, it's just noise. It's, see, to, to practice DM correctly, all you have to do is be able to think a thought. Most people think millions every day. It really is that easy. And you need to feel safe. You need to feel in a posi- place where you can't, aren't being ob- observant of the things around you for safety reasons. But otherwise, the TM process is a natural one. I don't mean to put you on the spot. But when I say to people that the process of TM is natural because as one goes inwards, it feels better, am I not telling the truth? Oh, well, here's what my problem is. You're, you sure are telling the truth. I always tell people... TM is so wonderful. The torture is when I come out of it. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm supposed to feel happy, but like, it's like, can I just stay in there forever? And they don't quite understand what I'm talking about, but that's how good it feels. What, what people don't realize is that we live in a world where we have lost touch with that inner being. And because we've lost touch with it, we seek it out around us all the time, almost, almost with uh, not a passion, but a, a fervor, a need as if I don't get this, I'm not going to be happy. And that's the biggest illusion. And what we, a lasting state of happiness only comes from inner peace, from, that o- from your own touch with yourself. Because anything we get outside of ourself is temporary. And if your happiness is dependent on the things that you obtain and do like that, you're always in a state of gotta, gotta, gotta because you've got to gotta get something. Right. The truth is, and it's not like I'm a passive person, as you well know, the truth is the more comfortable you are in yourself, the more effectively you can engage with others because your perspective is from a quiet place. You start to see things in a broader perspective. You start to see how things fit together. You're less reactive. You're more responsive to the environment. You said you feel more comfortable in yourself. You're less jumpy. You're less... You're less reactive when someone does something that normally pushes your buttons like kids do so well and what happens then is you start to pay a little bit more attention rather than react you listen and when you listen you start to understand the other person's perspective and when you understand that perspective even if you don't agree with it at least you take it into account when you respond and so your response is more natural more life-supporting more acceptable the phrase emotional intelligence is the, means the ability to understand a perspective different than your own. It doesn't mean you agree, but at least you understand. Right. And what happens in our society is that is more and more essential to have real relationships. Because it's not just a matter of me being this without taking in you. It's the, it's the, it's the, co- the coalition of the two of us together, the the synthesis of two individuals interacting, understanding, and enjoying one another. And that's the whole purpose of all of this, is to learn how to enjoy and love each other, to support each other. Okay, right. I'm going to give you a personal experience this morning. I did my meditation, came out of it, and felt absolutely great. 
and I was about to leave my house, and the phone rang, and uh, someone asked me a question, and I was rushing out of the driveway, and poor Emily sitting here. I caught her eye just as I was making a phone call in the car, and I'm yelling to her across the yard, which obviously didn't sound like a gentle discussion, (laughs) and it ended up being... The person that I called got the whole conversation on their phone of my yelling across the yard at Emily. Well, we need to do this. We need to do this before we go. No, you can't go. And and I, after I pulled away, I called my best friend, Linda. Linda, you know who you are. And she laughed hysterically because she thought it was funny. I said, wait a minute. What's wrong? I've been doing TM for two and a half years, and I just chewed out this adorable person that's been my lifeblood helping me put this whole podcast together. What makes something like that happen? I mean, does it mean I need retraining? Or and, and I'm saying this for anyone else who's listening. If you're going through TM and you have a setback like that, is there, am I doing it wrong? Or is it just, oh, well, you know, start over the next time and hopefully that won't happen? Because for a long time, I had that slow to react response. But when things get really crazy, it's almost like I need to go into that inward person 24 hours a day rather than 20, 40 minutes a day. What you have done is typical growing pains. I, I hardly know your story, okay? It was over two years ago that I taught you. But, but I, what I want to point out, like many people after they learn to meditate, they start to wake up to other aspects of their individuality that have been hidden by fear, by fear of not doing it well, by not being accepted, by not being approved. Those are deep fears. And I have a suspicion that what you have done is started to step out of your old comfort zone and start to engage in this new one. Right. And you're Woman taking, overboard. <laughs> and you're taking on new responsibilities. And all I can say to you is, is you're growing up. I'm still in kind of the we are age gr- seven or eight years old category, been, I would say. I'm f- I've been meditating almost 50 years. I still see these layers come out from underneath me. And suddenly, that which is motivating me, I'm more aware of it. Am I doing this because I really want to, or do I want her approval? Am I doing this because it's what my mom would have wanted me to do, or my dad? Or am I doing it because it's me enjoying be who, who I am? And it's, it's interesting to watch as you become more just simple and genuine. And as you in, approach new territory, look... I don't know much about your past life, but I'll bet you've seen people yell at others when they get stressed. Oh, yes. And that's, I, that's, one, of those video, that. <laughs> that's one of those videotapes that right. are playing in our head yes. that when things get tough, you yell at the person rather than be understanding. And so as you grow up, as you become a bigger Nancy, that's what happens. And it takes time. No. Do I still get ticked off at people? Ask my wife. But it's, it's, it's less. <laughs> I love it. It's less than it ever was. And the amount of compassion and understanding we have for each other continues to grow. The basis of any relationship is the person, the individual. This allows the individual to grow. And over time, there's this evolution. This refi- evolution means the refinement of the nervous system. And that's the essence of what this is about. Maharishi said this, and I, I quote him because I adored him. He was my teacher. I learned a lot. But this is one of the things he said that just struck me and will always be fundamental to my life. He said, expansion of happiness is the purpose of life. And evolution is the process through which it is fulfilled. Evolution isn't just Darwinian survival of the fittest. 
evolution is the refinement of the nervous system. You know those fine feelings you have when you're, we, when you're with your family and you're just getting along together? Nobody's ma mm -hmm. managing each other. No one's manipulating. You're not parenting. You're enjoying those souls for who they are right. and the feeling mm -hmm. that, that you're touching on that. You mm -hmm. just really know each other. Well, you start to be able to operate from that level with more and more people. Look how big your world becomes. All the trips in the universe, all the even flying into outer space on one of these SpaceX shots right. isn't the same as just enjoying the richness of being alive. We were given a human nervous system, the most complex mechanism in the universe. And, and we, treat it, we don't treat it as well as we treat our cars. You know, we're, we're, we, a car needs to be tuned up. The nervous system needs to be rested. You need a good night's sleep. You know, we need to get rest. <laughs> right. we need, TM provides a much deeper rest than sleep does. So it allows those deeper stresses, those deeper fears, those deeper traumatic moments that are in, often indelible in our nervous system, allows them to come out. Y you know, one of the things we could talk about is the effect TM has on releasing past traumas. TM is, is as yes, effective as... Yes, it does a lot for PTSD. PTSD. I mean, I've taught more than a dozen soldiers, you know, veterans who have been in terrible positions and have, you know, wake up strangling their wives because they're waking up in a dream, which in Afghanistan, they would wake up mm -hmm. and have to literally kill someone in order to survive the night. So what kind of trauma is that? And I, I could tell you stories about this, but they really do see a change, not in a matter of years, but in weeks. So this is tremendous. We all have these deep traumas, these deep events that occurred to us in our past that are unconsciously operating in our systems and inhibiting us from becoming who we mm -hmm. want to be. And I, one of the things I want to get into is a recent article about TM and stress management. But before we talk about that, can you talk a little bit about how stress affects the human body, the ill effects that it has on all of us? Okay, I'm going to back up one step. Okay. Most people don't know this. Maharishi, this Indian teacher mm -hmm. that I studied with, it, who trained all the teachers here, he's, his college degree was in physics. And when he started teaching other people, when he, after he started to set up this program, he implored us, you know, we were college, mm -hmm. high school and college people. He said, go back to college and study the physiological changes that occur during TM. You know why? Because unlike hypnosis or other forms of meditation, mm -hmm. TM really changes your body. And if in the, the body, you know, I'm mm -hmm. touching my mm -hmm. own body, this body is my instrument of experiencing life. Its condition determines the quality of my life. I'm sorry, I don't care how much money you have, if you're exhausted, you don't enjoy yourself. Right. And I can also tell you that even if you don't have much money, when you're feeling comfortable in yourself, it's not hard to enjoy almost whatever you do, as long as it's natural to you. Right. And so what Marshy said was, go study the physical changes, because if TM really does work, the body itself, your instrument, has to change. And so starting in 1970 at Harvard Medical School, Keith Wallace, a graduate student in physiology, studied the first physical changes that were occurring in meditation, observable objectively from the outside, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, you may say you feel more comfortable and it may feel really nice in your meditation, but does the body change? A person could be hypnotized and told, oh, you feel relaxed or good, but their body doesn't change. It's just a mood. It's just mm -hmm. a mental uh, 
like put proposal to the mind. Freezing your mind. Well, it's, it's something, but it's not physiological. During TM, in that first study, and I want to point out, it was done at Harvard Medical School. It was published in Scientific American and Science Magazine. It was called a wakeful hypometabolic state. The mind stayed awake. There were brainwave patterns showed that the mind is clearly awake. But the body, in those studies, metabolic rate dropped 16 to 20 percent in the first five minutes of TM. Your body, over the course of a full night's sleep, if you sleep through the night, drops about 6 to 8 percent. Now, when you say metabolic rate... Oxygen consumption, okay. breath rate, okay. those are physiological markers. Yeah, those are physiological markers that say this person's asleep. And so it's really uh, important. Since then, since 1970, over 450 studies have been done and published in peer-reviewed journals on TM and the different physiological and psychological benefits it produces. Most important point, you get a state of rest that's much deeper than sleep, which enables your body to correct itself, to throw off the physiological impression of a traumatic event. I'll, I'll give you the answer to your question, one thing. When, you, when you're stressed, if you walked out of the building and a dog jumps out of the bushes and snaps at you, you will automatically go into what's called fight or flight. Cortisol will shoot out of your adrenal glands and instantly, in that moment, I mean like this is like instantly, your blood pressure, your pulse rate, and your breath rate will jump. All the blood vessels in your body will contract. It's pushing the blood toward your thighs so you can kick the, the, dog. the dog or run from it. Okay, it's called fight or flight. In that same moment, your system turns acidic. Lactic acid builds up in your tissues. And um, your system, your, your, uh, you begin to sweat. Also, in that moment, the blood flow to your brain, to your prefrontal cortex, that's the part of the brain right across above mm -hmm. your eyes, which is responsible for all the ability in your life to create success because it's the ability to put things in sequence. Mm -hmm. The blood flow to the prefrontal cortex shuts off because when that dog jumps out from behind the bush and scares the bejeebies out of you, it's not the time for you to think, to oh, my. <laughs> oh, oh, well, it's not the time for you to start thinking, oh, my, what's my karma? Why would a dog <laughs> want to bite me? It, right. It, right? You either kick it or you run. It's not a matter of thinking about it. This it's is not a move. saving your life. Right? Exactly. And so what happens during TM? Cortisol levels drop 30 to 40%. They drop maybe 10% over a full night's sleep. Blood pressure, pulse rate and breath rate all normalize. Um, your system becomes alkaline, which is much healthier, and uh, the blood vessels actually start to dilate. Those are all measurable changes. Oh, by the way, the blood flow to the prefrontal cortex increases noticeably. So when you find yourself having meditated for two years, taking on more responsibility, doing things that you've always wanted to do but never been able to do, it's the prefrontal cortex that's now operating more effectively, enabling Nancy to start to be the person she'd like to be. That's how it works. Well, then does that mean that Nancy needs more than 40 minutes a day of TM? <laughs> because if she's taking on more responsibility, she might need more? No? Yes? It may mean, it may mean that you might need to be a little more attentive to your routine. And uh, simple pieces of advice, which I admit come from Maharishi, Go to bed at the same time every day. Eat your meals at the same time. 
allow your body to have the stability of routine. And then you will find that your own reality starts to become more stable. Mm -hmm. And what you want is that. And so you're also doing new things and you're learning how to do it. Managing your time is a big lesson. We only have a little bit more time left, and I, what I want to get into, because we will continue our discussion, but for today, I heard there was a very specific incident in your life that prompted you to begin TM, and I'd love to know that story. When did this happen? I used to be a counselor in the Ozarks at a summer camp, like many people go to camp. or Sabra, right? <laughs> yeah, I was at Sabra. Uh, I went to Hawthorne, you know, before it became mm-hmm. Sabra, and I was a counselor at Sabra. And there was, a, there was somebody there, and um, most people don't know this. Sabra is like a 10-week camp, three weeks, three weeks, and four-week sessions, okay? Mm-hmm. Usually by the end of the third week, for all those people who go to the second and third session, I'm sorry, the counselors are exhausted. <laughs> go to the first session, right? Because, because what happens is you're with the kids from 6.30 in the morning because you got to get them right. to breakfast by 7, and you're with them till 9.15 or 9.30 at night if they let you leave the cabin. Right. And then you go out, and you want to be with your peers, and inevitably you start going to bed later and later. And by the end of a month, you're exhausted. And then the whole rest of the summer, you're kind of getting through. You're operating in that exhausted state. There was one counselor every day at around 5 o'clock when you take the kids up the hill, like from the lake, you bring them back up to the cabins. Mm -hmm. And the kids have to take showers, and you have to put alcohol in their ears. or You know, you have to take care of them. He would ask me to look after his tribe. That's what we called them, mm-hmm. tribes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, I have um, a tribe. I love that. So in other words, I'd take his, my, my guys and his guys would go and they'd have to take showers. And if you let youngsters alone in a shower, inevitably they start hitting each other with tiles right, and right. causing trouble. He said, would you watch my group? And I would watch him walk out on the boathouse, open up one of those director's chairs, sit on it, and close his eyes and meditate. And before the kids were done with their showers, he'd be back up. And you knew he wasn't on his cell phone back then, right? <laughs> yeah, there were no, only Dick Tracy had a cell <laughs> right. phone then. Anyway, the thing is, he was cool with his kids all summer. It was very noticeable. I really respected him. He did his job so well. And that fall, I went back to college at the University of Colorado, and I learned to meditate. And I'll tell you something, that te- being a camp counselor, like being a teacher, is really natural to me. It's what I've always wanted to do. The next summer, I was a counselor at that camp again. And it was interesting because I would oftentimes not get to meditate till late. And then I'd often go to bed shortly thereafter. And um, so like at 9.30, I'd go start going to bed. I kept a really regular routine. Mm-hmm. I was the best counselor I'd ever been. Honestly, there were days I remember walking out of my cabin, taking the kids. I loved camp, personally, mm-hmm. as a right. kid. You, I mean, I'm really still a kid. Yeah. That's going to be my granddaughter. She just had a great (laughs) camp experience. She'll be a counselor someday. So anyway, I remember remember this succinctly, walking out of the cabin with the 10 kids, and they were all kind of mobbing me. They were 11 and 12. And um, walking to archery, thinking, God, I love this. I love what I'm doing. And I was also one of the highest paid counselors. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was to me. (laughs) And somewhere in the second session, the, the camp director actually came in the cabin one night, and he said to me, I've never received so many letters from parents telling me how much their kids like their counselor. And it was wow. like, I wasn't doing anything different but being myself, and I was keeping a really good routine. And I, and I say that because it, my, my whole life changed from kind of that point. Not that it hasn't had its tough moments, but it's, it's uh, and you know, I've had my own physical challenges and 
and et cetera that I've had to deal with. So how were you able to get away from those kids other than doing what your friend did and said, watch my tribe? Did you watch each other's tribes so you could meditate? Did you get you up at usually six? Get, you so usually you get one. It's interesting. You usually get one period off a day, and I'd always meditate. That usually was in the morning for me. So I'd do my morning meditation then, and I'd often meditate like at 845, and the kids hated it because they had to be quiet, and they couldn't <laughs> sneak out of the cabin because I was still in there. Right. So it was, and they ended up going to sleep. And, and it was kind of like, I, you know, you do have an influence on your environment. And they knew I was meditating and they would just be quiet. And um, so that was how I got my two in a lot of the times. Sometimes, sometimes um, I would ask someone else to keep an eye on my tribe. And I had a junior counselor sometimes. So well, Michael, this has been delightful talking with you. We're going to have to wrap it up for right now. But in part two, I want to hear about the effect that this has had on, since you talk about young people, the positive effect that TM has had on many young people in violent environments and from abusive homes and so forth. And um, we thank you for being here today and look forward to more on Women Overboard. Thank you so much. I'm obviously glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you. For more information on Michael Blitz and Transcendental Meditation, visit our website at womanoverboard.com. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, place an ad or comment on our show, go to womanoverboard.com or email me, Nancy Scanlon Coppler at nancy at womanoverboard.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>